Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Rev. Dr. Matthew Richard. Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants, who had drawn the water, knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, but when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the 1960s and 70s, the American church began to see a substantial problem. Yes, in the 1960s and 70s, there became a substantial problem of young adults leaving the church for the first time. In other words, before the 1960s and 70s, young adults were just as likely, and get this, they were just as likely to attend the church as were older adults. But that began to change. Furthermore, it seemed as if atheism was on a dramatic rise in America about that same time. And so among some, it was believed that young adults were either shifting or leaning towards the threats of atheism. Now, there certainly has been a rise of atheism in the last 60 to 80 years in America and especially since that time in the 1960s and 70s. However, contrary to what you and I may think, atheism is quite small. Yes, it is very small. Here in America, depending on which poll that you look at, which study that you consult, atheism typically will show anywhere from 3 to 7% of the population here in America. Yes, here in America. In fact, worldwide, those that would consider themselves atheistic or agnostic, if you will, well, that's right around 3 to 7% as well. It is a very small percentage. So if Christianity has been declining since the 1960s and 70s here in America, and since atheism has not dramatically grown in America, what we might actually think, 
but has remained relatively small here in America, what is happening to all those who have left the church? Indeed, what has happened to them? The answer is quite complex, yet at the very same time, yet at the very same time, very simple. These people are certainly not atheists, the ones that leave. They're not atheists, and they are certainly not Christian. However, they are still, get this, they are still spiritual. They may still believe in God and perhaps maybe even pray from time to time, but they will certainly not come through the doors. It's the doors of the church. That is to say, they're not atheistic, they're not agnostic or atheists, and they're not religious at all as well, but indeed they still remain, get this, this is the key, they still remain spiritual. Now, why bring all of this up? Well, one of the defining characteristics of the spiritual but not religious or atheistic crowd, yes, that spiritual crowd but not religious crowd, is that they're often attracted to signs and wonders. They really are. We notice this when we look into a bookstore and we look to the religious section of a bookstore, such as Barnes & Noble or any other bookstore, if you will. As you go to that religious section, you look upon all the books that you see in front of you, you'll find, indeed, many spiritual books underneath, underneath the label of religion. There you find, for example, books on basic leadership, but not just books on leadership, basic leadership books with a spiritual tone. You will find many diet books, but diet books with a spiritual theme. You'll find books on cooking and sex and exercise, on and on and on, all written with a spiritual, yes, a spiritual mood. But perhaps the books that sell the most in the religion section really exemplify our current culture, this group that has emerged in America, and that is books that speak on the profound spiritual experiences of life, life after death, books on miracles, amazing healings, and profound spiritual visions, to name just a few. In other words, what are the defining characteristics of those who are spiritual but not religious is their attraction is their attraction to spiritual signs. Yes, spiritual signs. Yes, their indeed attraction to spiritual signs and wonders. Now, in the reading from the Gospel of John this morning, we hear Jesus we hear about Jesus performing a sign. In fact, as we heard here this morning, he turned water into wine. And that was the first of his signs in the Gospel of John. After turning water into wine, we read in the rest of the Gospel of John, we read in the rest of the Gospel of John that Jesus performs another six signs. He heals, he multiplies bread and fish, he walks on water, he raises the dead, and so forth. Now, these signs of Jesus are indeed very profound, and they should not only grab your attention this morning, but they should also pique the interest of those who are spiritual but not religious. But my friends, that is where the problem arises, not only for you, but also for those who are spiritual but not religious. As it has already been stated, there's a strong push to seek after and to welcome and to embrace supernatural signs in America. However, this fascination with signs, this fascination with wonders, 
also has impacted those inside the church as well. We've also sipped on the same Kool-Aid. We've bought into the same trends, the same fascinations. Whether those inside the church are tired of the so-called mundane liturgy or want a bit of excitement in their Christianity, while the desire to look for signs and wonders and to interpret signs and to ponder signs is very prevalent in the church as well as outside the church. But we may think to ourselves, isn't it good, perhaps, that individuals have not succumbed to atheism and are still somewhat interested in the realm of the sacred, in the realm of the spiritual, in the realm of the supernatural? Isn't it good that they have not completely rejected the spiritual and become mere materialists? Dear friends, please hear this, knowing that I say it with all the compassion I can muster. Yes, what I say here, I say with all the compassion that I can muster. A sign that does not lead to Jesus and the forgiveness of sins is nothing but a clanging gong. It is an empty sign. It is useless. Yes, spending all sorts of time looking for signs, interpreting signs, and thinking about signs and miracles and wonders and all of that stuff that does not lead to Jesus is not only a waste of time, but also also an exercise in naive foolishness. Again, I say that with compassion. Think of it this way. Imagine for a moment that we take a road trip as a church to Arizona, perhaps, And as you and I are driving along, our eyes are scanning the highway, looking at all the different signs that come our way. And then, all of a sudden, you see a sign that has a picture and says, Grand Canyon, five miles ahead. And then imagine getting excited, seeing that sign, seeing that sign right there in front of you, Grand Canyon, five miles ahead, and getting so excited that you pull the car over. Imagine rushing out of your car with your cameras, with your iPhones, and taking pictures of the sign. Imagine touching the sign and smelling the sign and pondering the sign and taking pictures with the sign and gazing up at the sign. And then imagine after 30 minutes, you jump back in your car, you smile with glee, and you go back home. Now, I don't have to convince you this would be foolishness, yes, indeed, and, and yet, this is what so many people are unfortunately doing in our world right now. Unfortunately, it is also what so many well-intentioned Christians are doing as well in the church. But what should we do with all the so-called signs and wonders that we encounter in our world today, though? Shall we discard them? There is perhaps a better question that we can ask, and that is this. What do people hope their so-called signs lead them to. One more time. What do people hope that their so-called signs lead them to? For the sake of being very honest right now, yet again, also with compassion. In our world, with all of its vast spiritual experiences and so-called spiritual signs and diverse spiritual feelings, We must ask ourselves this question, how many are hoping to arrive at the person and the work and the assurance of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of their sins as they ponder their signs? Tragically, in my approximate 20 years of being a pastor, I have yet, 
I have yet to encounter a person who is impressed or excited or glad to hear about Christ crucified for the forgiveness of their sins after they have asked me to try and interpret their so-called spiritual signs. You see, when Jesus did the first of his signs in the Gospel of John, turning water into wine, it was not for the purpose of doing a spiritual sign and that is it. You see, our Jesus is not a magician or a trickster playing games with the people, trying to excite their emotions and stir them up in spiritual speculation. No, the signs were like a catapult, if you will, that they grabbed a hold of the people's attention and then they launched these individuals to the person, the work, and the words of Jesus himself for eternal salvation. Like a short preview for a movie that makes you want to go to the theater and watch the whole movie itself. These miracles, these signs of Jesus, they work to make people go to Jesus for the whole package to hear the word of Christ. Indeed, these miracles were signs because they revealed a little about Jesus and they refocused the people's attention to the one performing the miracles. As signs, the miracles were intended to make people say this, kind of person? What kind of person can heal sick people? How can that person walk on water? If he can raise the person from the dead, if that guy can raise a person from the dead, maybe we should hear more from him. Maybe we should look to him. Maybe we should ponder him. Dear friends, we need to repent. We need to repent of the time and energy that we spend sorting through all the so-called signs of this world that do not lead us to Jesus. We need to repent and know that Christ has already given us seven signs in the Gospel of John. Yes, you and I must repent and know that in spite of our sin, the Lord has not only given you and me seven signs in the Gospel of John, uh, but he has given you and me the ultimate sign this day. Yes, he has. He has given you the ultimate sign, and that is an empty tomb. Just think about this for a moment. With all the hundreds of so-called signs that lead to questions and more questions and more questions and doubt and pondering and thinking and searching and endless questions, you have been given a sign of an empty tomb. The sign of the empty tomb that points to the reality that Jesus, yes, he defeated sin, death, and the devil, and that he lives for you right now. And there's more. You have been given the sign of baptism. And unlike a road sign that merely points ahead to something else, the sign of baptism does not merely point you to Jesus and that's it, making you go off on some journey searching for him and his cross off in the distance. But instead, the sign of baptism actually brings Christ to you and the accomplishments of the cross right to you, joining you to his death and resurrection. And do not forget the Lord's Supper. Unlike a sign that only points you to Jesus, the Lord's Supper gives you the body and blood of Christ upon your mouth and into your bellies for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And so you not only have all the signs recorded in the Bible that point you to Christ, but you also have Jesus right now through the signs of his word and sacraments. So baptized saints, it is perfectly clear. You and I need to stop wasting our time with the world's so-called signs. Stop wasting our time and our money and our speculation and our energy and our pondering and our wondering 
with these signs that do not lead us to Christ or give us Christ. For you already have the Lord's sign, and that is enough. Baptized saints, the tomb is empty. Baptized saints, you are snatched from darkness unto light. You are baptized. Baptized saints, you are absolved in the word of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Dear friends, you are forgiven in the Lord's Supper, the body and blood given and shed for you. You are given these signs so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, yes, by believing, you may have life in his name. And that, that is enough. That is enough for your pilgrimage here on this life. And that is enough for eternity. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.